Welcome to Movie Mavericks, the show where we talk smack about movies. I don't know if that's going to be the catchphrase going forward, but for now, that's what it is. And we're here today to count down our top five favorite films of 2016. Why did we start this podcast? Because I've been going to a lot of goddamn movies lately. Seriously, I've been seeing two movies a week all year long. I don't know how many movies that is. A hundred goddamn movies I saw this year. And I needed an outlet to talk about all these gosh darn movies. Otherwise, it'd be just a goddamn waste of money. So I'm here today with my brother, Wheelord GTC. Say hi to the folks, Wheelord. Hi, everybody. Nice to be here. Yeah, and we are going to talk about our top five favorite films of 2016. Now, not top five collectively, top five individually. Only reason we're not doing top ten is because Warren hasn't seen enough movies to make a good enough top ten. I don't really live in a location now that's really fit for me to see movies regularly. What a crime. You need to go out to theaters more. Yeah, or I need to keep my car near my apartment more. That's right. So, we made sure, since we're only talking about five movies each, that we would have completely individual lists with no crossover. Like, I know with our Inuyasha retrospective, if you remember that, we each had a top ten, but half of those entries were basically the same between us, and it became a mess because we ranked some moments higher than others. Totally avoiding that this time. We are just talking about five individual movies that we personally felt were the best or most interesting movies we saw in 2016. So, why don't we introduce ourselves, though, in the context of our experiences as film goers. I'm going to come right over and say that I am not an amazing film expert. I've just been seeing a lot of movies lately, got, getting into a lot of classics as well as newer stuff, and doing studying film a lot more uh, diligently than I used to. I took, like, street classes this year, which were basically centered around watching movies every week, analyzing and criticizing them. So, I guess, just to say, I don't want to go into, like, my whole list of favorite movies, because that list is constantly changing. I will say, though, that generally I consider my three favorite movies to be Twelve Angry Men, Persepolis, and Yurisei Yatsu 2, Beautiful Dreamer. Warun? Yeah, so unlike Sid, I'm not in any, like, film-related or animation-related field. I'm a, I'm a business major. So I don't really go to see a lot of films and don't... I, I'm not, like, an expert in, like, analyzing them at all. I'm more of a casual moviegoer. I see what I can. If there's a big movie coming out, I'll try to see it. But I guess since Sid mentioned his top three favorite films, I guess I'll go off and say mine. My top three is uh also Twelve Angry Men. And the Wind Rises, and third one I'm not sure about. Um, yeah, let's not talk about the third one then. Okay, so I went and saw a lot of movies this year. Like I said, I think I've seen like, I don't know if I really saw 100. I saw at least 50 movies in theaters this year. Most of those new releases, some of them classic releases, uh, had a good time generally with all of them. But... <laughs> Even though I went and saw a lot of movies, I wasn't able to see everything. So there's going to be omissions on this list that you may attribute to me not just getting around to it. And I'm going to run off very quickly uh, some movies that I had planned to see, 
but just haven't gotten the chance to yet. First, Arrival. Heard it was a great sci-fi flick, really different from the usual alien invasion story. Just haven't gotten a chance to see it, but it looks great. Really, I always enjoy Amy Adams' uh, performances, and she seems like she's great in the movie. Trailers always looked interesting to me. Looks like great stuff. Green Room. Now, I know this movie is considered one of the best horror films of the year. Like, the premise is definitely chilling and, like, definitely would give me the chills. Like, freaking walking into a bunch of neo-Nazis committing some horrible shit and having to fight off them. That sounds pretty fucked up. So, I'll, I'll check that out at some point. Jackie, uh, that's just a movie I heard good things about and I was thinking of going to see. You know, it sounded like a good, you know, historical-based movie. Natalie Portman seems like she's a good fit for the character. Well, character, real-life person, um, Jackie Kennedy, but uh, just haven't got a chance to see it either. The Lobster, another film I know was very highly received. I had an interesting premise. People, you either get hooked up or you get turned into an animal. I mean... Damn, that, that kind of sounds messed up. Yeah, it sounds messed up. Yeah, Lobster... Heard good things. Haven't gotten to it. Manchester by Sea. Now, I tried to see this one, but the problem with this one is that even though it's the critical darling, it ranked as number one on the AV Club's top 20 films of 2016. Like, no theater is playing it. Like, seriously, the showtimes are so few and far between. This is a critical favorite, but popular favorite, not in the least. So it's really hard to see this one. I'm still trying. Hopefully, it'll be still be playing. By the time I get around to it, otherwise I'll need to wait for it to pop up on Netflix or DVD, Blu-ray. But oh. yeah, Manchester by the Sea, heard it's a phenomenally acted film, very relevant to the times. Uh, but yeah. limited release, not playing, not many show times. Yeah, hopefully it gets more if it wins an Oscar or something, which I, I think it might. Yeah. like Bird, It happened with Birdman too. Birdman didn't have many showings around holidays but then after the oscars it just resurged yeah up in show times so so hopefully hopefully moana now that's one that as an animation major i'm definitely going to get heavily criticized for not going to see yet I heard shame. It's a beautiful, yeah shame. shame shame me but i heard it's a beautiful film uh heard it's got Great acting, like great character animation. You know, I actually went to a behind the scenes, like pre screening before the movie came out. You know, Pixar came to the school, of Bigger Arts, my school. You know, they showed us some clips from the movies, some, you know, how, some concept art, some changes, like how they changed the chicken character around. You know, they showed us some cool scenes, like the movie looked really good from what I've seen of it from that uh, special screening. Well, I haven't seen the full movie yet. I haven't gotten a chance to. Surprisingly, I haven't seen it being playing that often in theaters. Honestly, like even on its initial release, like I was checking my local theaters back in New York. I have three usual hangout theaters: the Willoughby Cinema, Regal Union Square Station 14, Cine Atos Chelsea. Like none of them were really playing Moana, which was completely surprising to me. Uh, I guess I could have tried AMC Empire, but I don't even know if they're still doing enough showtimes for that anymore. So Yeah, Moana seems to not be having a lot of showtimes now. I'm not sure if that's attributed to 
not doing like super well, but yeah, I mean, hopefully it did well because generally it was a critically well received movie. People really enjoyed it a lot, and yeah, the water effects, I from what I've seen, are just absolutely amazing. Yeah. They upped their game at Disney again. Like obviously, considering my field, I have to go see that movie at some point. But unfortunately, just circumstances haven't aligned. Uh, Queen of Katwa, uh, that's in the new Mira Nier film, uh, looked, you know, really great. Obviously, I have had like years of experience as a chess player, so just on that premise alone, it intrigued me, and it seemed like it was going to be a great film. It was very well received, but again, it wasn't a popular favorite even though it was critically well received so it was out of theaters very quickly and circumstances just in a line storks now that's a movie that out of all the ones i'm mentioning isn't probably gonna be on a lot of people's <laughs> top favorite lists because it wasn't a critically well received but popular reception just from critics that i like like brad jones uh, doug walker from those critics, like they said, it was a really funny movie, like great slapstick, and its sound did very appealing to me, totally in my case. Like, I was really interested in seeing that movie from the trailers, but again, just stars did not align. I wasn't able to get to a theater that was playing it, unfortunately. that That's a movie I really want to see, though. I think, you know, uh, that those kind of movies, kind of like uh, the Illumination movies, like, they aren't, like critically well received because they aren't trying to do say anything really they don't really have a message that the critics can latch onto and say this is what this movie is about they're just fun times but i think those movies are very valuable and a good funny movie is a good funny movie and even if the critics don't appreciate that i certainly do and then finally last one i'm mentioning here the one that all the anime fans are going to criticize me for not having on my list your name. Boo! Boo! Shut up, it isn't on your list Boo. either. Boo! Doesn't matter. You have to respect Makoto Shinkai's work. What? How much of you Makoto Shinkai's work have you seen? Absolutely nothing besides, like. Actually, I saw a little bit of five centimeters per second, but that's it. You have no leg to stand on then. I know. <laughs> yeah, so. Actually, you know, I'm. When this. Uh, I've not seen your name, even though I'm sure. Everyone has found a way to see it because internet. Yeah. I have not seen it because Funimation is going to put out theatrical screenings for the film next year, like legally, and I might as well wait for those. And I have no interest in watching it from ripped camera recordings. For the guy who leaked his screener copy. Or the guy who leaked his streamer copy. I'd rather watch the, the proper film in theaters as it's meant to be seen. Now, I know it has been playing in L.A. briefly. Hasn't been playing in New York, though. So, I have to wait until it plays in New York. But I will see your name might make my movies of 2017 list. Uh, based on kind of the qualifiers I'm having for this list in 2016. But, yeah, you know your name. I know it's probably amazing. I know that. Not seen it yet because it hasn't officially come out here. In a wide capacity. Aren't you also forgetting Silent Voice? 
Oh yeah, I'm also forgetting a silent voice. Yeah, that same deal with that one, even though I don't know if it's gonna come out here. Yeah, who knows? It's not even licensed yet. But yeah, silent voice and your name seem to be like the big twenty sixteen anime films though. Yeah. Like, at every film festival, whenever they're choosing like the best film, it always just comes down <laughs> to your name and silent voice. And si- and silent voice just loses just by like a few votes every time. And now that's at least very promising for that film. And yeah. as a huge fan of that manga, that manga is top five for me. That makes me very happy and excited to see that film when it finally comes out here legally. Yeah. Hopefully it will, because the manga was well-received over here. So yeah. I'm, hoping I'm sure it will at some point. Maybe not in theaters, but I'm sure Funimation or someone is going to license that at some point and release it on home video. Yeah. Speaking of anime films, totally forgot. Boy and the Beast. That came out here as well this year. Uh, you didn't see Boy and the Beast? No, I didn't get a chance to oh. see it because I went to Oaxaca, Mexico during the time that I could have seen it. So no oh. chance to have seen it yet. I, I saw Boy and the Beast. It was a really good film. Not not my favorite uh, Posada film, but it's really good. I'd recommend it. It's not on my top five, but it's a good film. Yeah, and then just to name two others that I probably will get around to. Well, I know I'm going to get around to this one. One Piece Film Gold. That's coming out next month. Totally going to see that. Pretty excited since Stronghold and Film Scene Z were super good. Really looking forward to Film Gold. Looks really awesome. And also, you know, eventually I'm obviously going to get around to this. Detective Conan Movie 20, Darkest Nightmare. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) what? Yes, Darkest Nightmare. The one where they troll about Rub's identity. Yeah, but... It's a movie with a black organization. I gotta watch that at some point. Yeah, I guess. My, my big problem with those movies is that they always, like, troll, like, these big revelations that are gonna happen. But they never actually happen. Okay. Well, that basically covers the movies that I plan to see this year. Just haven't gotten around to yet. Do you have any others, Dad? Uh, no, not really. I mean, you didn't mention Keanu. I saw Keanu. Oh, you did see Keanu? Yeah. Oh, okay. What did you think of Keanu? Keanu was freaking hilarious. That oh, was yeah. My, probably my favorite comedy film, pure comedy film of the year. Yeah, I watched it on, like, HBO a few weeks ago while I was cramming for exams. It, it was really funny. Yeah, darn funny. Like, that's yeah. a movie that I want to see again, because I think I like, still get the same amount of belly laughs the second time around. That yeah, was a total treat, total surprise. I was not expecting to laugh and love that movie as much as I did. Yeah. <laughs> Really great comedy. Definitely check that one out. Not in my top five, but... Yeah, same. Great movie. So now we're ready to do our top five movies of 2016 individually. Why don't you start, since I just went on about all these <laughs> movies that I haven't seen yet. And there's like ten of them. So. Yeah, so my number five is Star Wars Rogue One. Okay. Yeah, so Rogue One. Uh, coming into it, I, I wasn't expecting much, right? I knew it was going to be about them finding the plans for the Death Star. It takes place between episodes 3 and 4. But it, it impressed me. It actually got me kind of invested in the characters. And it it helped assuage some of the problems I had with episode 4 that are kind of just affected due to its age. Like the fact that the Death Star has such this dumb vulnerability inside it where you just like shoot this one area and it just will completely blow up. And the film actually justifies why that, like, exploit is there in the Death Star, which I really liked, because it kind of makes the film feel less dumb in that way, even Mm -hmm. though I think that maybe they could have at least 
Empire could have tried to patch up the Death Star before the Rebels came? Well, they didn't have a chance. That was the thing about the movie is that it led right into episode four and no one knew that there was this flaw in the Death Star other than the two guys, the two scientist guys who worked on it and both of them died so they weren't able to pass information on. Well, yeah, that's a good point. But once they saw that they were aiming for that point in the Death Star, you'd think that they'd at least heighten up the security a bit more. Cause... Well, I don't even think they knew that the Rebels knew about the Death Star. That's the thing. Yeah. Well, okay. Actually, actually they do because they knew Darth Vader went after Yeah, Darth Vader Leia. went after Leia, so... If they, they they knew this, they took the structure disc. So like, yeah, but they had they would have security. But then you know there was this whole fight over the Death Star. Like most of the people who raided the Death Star did kind of die. You know. Yeah, so, that's a good point. So I I don't think there's any potholes in that regard. Yeah, Rogue One. That's a very controversial movie among I think Star Wars fans. At least critically, I've seen opinions range from meh, it was okay, to this is a boring, pointless movie that is full of characters that are completely unmemorable and had no reason to exist and kind of felt anti-Star Wars. And what would you say to those assertions? I'd say that, yeah, it is unnecessary. We don't really need to... We didn't really need a film explaining how they got the Death Star plans. But at the same time, the fact that they do give like a justification for the exploit in the Death Star and at least some background on why that exists, I kind of respect it for that. The characters, I I can kind of understand not like really getting them, but I found them pretty good. The robot character, I read his name, was like C, C2 something? K2. Yeah, K2. K2. K2 was, I, I thought, was really funny. And then, like, just the cast, like, you can at least, like, sympathize with them and their problems. I'm not sure if, like, they're, like, super amazing characters, but I at least, like, cared a little bit when they died. And beyond that, like, yeah, I hear, I've heard problems about, like, Leia being CG and stuff in the film. You didn't even notice that Tarkin and Leia were CG until I told you, and you were like... Yeah, I, I think I was honestly just not paying a lot of attention to those scenes, maybe, but it didn't really bother me. And even when I rewatched the, like, clips of them, the CG's not terrible. It, it looks a bit jarring, maybe, but from how they lighted it and stuff, and just how brief their scenes are, it's not that big of a problem, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that a lot of the criticisms of Rogue One are kind of overblown. I did not find CG Target or Leia distracting. They were pretty believable in the scenes. I think you really have to nitpick in order to like really criticize them. Because like I said, you didn't even notice it until I told you. I feel like a lot of a lot of the audience who are just casually watching this movie, who aren't aware that you know the actor who plays Harkin is dead yeah like a a lot of people who don't maybe know that I think that they uh, they're not going to be distracted by it at all like they might not even realize like it's pretty great CG I mean it's as close to real as we can get it at this point yeah I don't think it looked uncanny about it at all I mean I didn't I didn't find it a problem as someone knowing that this was going to be CG in going into it, like I was expecting, like Uncanny Valley. I 
don't think it was that bad. I, I don't think it was bad at all, actually, so I don't understand that. Bad criticism. Um, characters characters are, were hit and miss. Like, they didn't have a lot of death, but I did care when they died and stuff. So, you know, I was emotionally invested in most of them. K2 was awesome, though. I, I was saddest for him <laughs> that he died because he was a character I would have liked to see in other movies. Yeah. And as far as other criticisms, criticisms go, like leaning on fan nostalgia or whatever, yeah, I didn't find the cameos too obtrusive. Like, there was a bunch of them in there that, you know, I don't think you'd pay any mind to if you're not a hardcore Star Wars fan. And I don't think they called attention to it that much. Like, the R2-D2 and C-Street POC, and I didn't find that jarring at all. It kind of, it makes sense that they were there and they were preparing to leave. Like, I think that was actually good setup for the final scene with Leia. Yeah, basically, I don't, all the problems with people have with this movie, I felt, were overblown based on all the reviews I'd been listening to and, like, reading going into this. But I will say that at the same metric... A lot of the praise for certain aspects of this movie, I felt, were overblown. And specifically, I'm talking about Darth Vader's fight scene, which everyone was calling, Oh, this is one of the best Vader moments ever. Oh, this is one of the best Vader fight scenes ever. Oh, this was so awesome. This is the best scene in the movie. It's so brief. It's like... It's so brief, like... There's just not enough to latch on to. Sure, kills a bunch of stormtroopers. Big deal. Doesn't really do anything that cool. Like, like he cuts through some guys. He turns back someone's blast laser back at him. Whoop de doo. I did like Vader generally in the movie. I liked his scene with the villain. Uh, I don't remember his name. He started with a K. But I liked his scene with. The movie, going in the movie where it's like, don't choke on your own ambition. I thought that was a pretty good <laughs> one-liner from Vader. I, like, I, I'm interested, I think they can do good stuff with Vader in his own standalone movie, which I they have to have on the docket at some point, because it's such a missed opportunity if they don't. As much as people like that scene, I think that making a full-blown like horror action film with Vader as like the villain protagonist has a lot of potential. I don't see the great big deal about that one scene in this movie, though. It didn't really impress me. And I guess part of that is inflated expectations because everyone that I had been reading reviews of and listening to reviews of was praising it so highly, but it didn't really leave much of an impression on me. Well, I'm also just not that hardcore of a Star Wars fan. It's just, it's not something I obsess over. So a lot of these small little things that people liked and didn't like about this movie didn't really appeal to me in the same way. But Rogue One, I thought, was a pretty solid movie. Yeah. I mean, I, I didn't like it as much as The Force Awakens, but among the movies this year, I'd say it made my top five. All right. So I'll talk about my number five. And now this is actually a movie we just saw today, like literally at the day we're recording this. And I don't know if I'd actually put it in my top five if we were doing like a top ten each of between us. Like, it might be in the lower end of the top ten. But because we're only doing a top five and because I want to talk about this movie, I'm putting it on here. It's a Bollywood 
Hindi film, a biographical sports drama film directed by Nitesh Tiwari, Dangal, which, uh, if you don't know your Hindi, literally translates to wrestling competition. It is a based on a true story about Mahavir Singh Pogdat, who uh, was once an accomplished wrestler who then retired and then raises his two of his daughters, his two eldest daughters, Gita and Babita, uh, to become professional class wrestlers. And the film follows their journey from when they start training to when Gita wins a gold medal at the Commonwealth Games. And so this is, was an interesting movie because it is exceptionally popular. It was, We tried to see this movie a couple days ago on Christmas when we went, and it was all the, all the screenings were sold out. All the screenings for that day pretty much were sold out. Yeah. Like, we could not get seats that day. Uh, it, it is exceptionally popular with the uh, Indian, Hindi Indian community. Like, it was really well received and, like, it's doing extremely well. So, obviously, that got me curious. Yeah. Um, I so, mean, I think it also might have the fact that we live in a fairly dense Indian community. Yeah. And the theater that we have nearby is, like, one of the, I'd say, one of the best theaters mm-hmm. in, like, our area of Minnesota. So that that probably is a big reason why I was selling out so fast. But even then, it's kind of surprising because they do frequent Indian Hindi films around our area often, but none of them like actually sell out at all. Most of them usually are half full, fourth full, never completely full and booked for weeks on end. Yeah, this film is exceptionally successful, at least as far as I can tell based on our area and how pretty much all the screenings were sold out. Even today, when we went, uh, the theater was full. I, there's good reason for that because it's a very good movie, very well-made movie, and it hits a lot of strong emotional beats while also having a great uh, commentary and feminist uh, you know, commentary on you know, kind of gender politics in India. And the tr- and like women's sports in India and really internationally as it can be applied, yeah. As well as just a good like family story about a father, you know, trying to who sees the best in his uh, children and wants to and pushes them hard, partly for his sake, partly to fulfill his dreams, but also because he knows they have the potential to do great things and put their great talents to use. And I think the film really succeeds at, you know, making the characters sympathetic and uh, making their journey feel really uh, affecting and powerful. At the end of the movie, when Gita wins the gold medal at the Commonwealth Games, uh, they play the Indian National Anthem. And everyone in our theater, except Warun and I, because we're lazy bastards, <laughs> uh, stood up. And and for the Indian national anthem, it, it, it had kind of that effect. Like it was that kind of powerful. It was. It, it had. There's a lot of nationalist pride for India in this film, and I think it really carries through. Uh, but there's also, of course, just great emotional center between this family and between these characters. Uh, not to say that I think this movie is necessarily perfect because it does adapt a real life story to. Uh, you know, 
conform to kind of a sports movie formula. So they throw in some uh, things, you know, to spice up the dramatic tension. I don't think Mahavir Bogat was really as disappointed as to get daughters instead of uh, sons as the character who was portrayed in the film. Uh, There was no villainous coach, of course. That was obviously an invention and I'm pretty sure that uh, Mahavir was not locked in a closet <laughs> while Gita oh. was in the final match. Yeah, it, the film definitely suffers from, I'd say, sports movie tropes and also regular Bollywood tropes. Random musical numbers, dramatic well, the, moments. I have, what I have to say about the musical numbers, though, is that they weren't intrusive, I felt. They were used mainly as Montauk songs. But no one was, like, getting up and dancing and, like, singing by themselves. Like, no, none of the characters were doing that. They were All the songs were played to Montauk's. They were never full-stage performances by people in the film. Yeah, that, that's one thing I could really respect about it. It's like, some Bollywood films will just randomly break into song in the most inappropriate scenes, very serious moments, climactic moments, where it shouldn't fit at all. But this film at least does it respectfully. It does it during montage moments instead of just in the middle of the plot. Yeah, and I think that goes a long way to helping the movie feel real. Like, if they at all, of all the characters were getting up and singing and dancing, I think that would have... <laughs> you know, broken, that would have kind of created this world as a fantasy. But because they're used as montage songs, and because there's such an attention to detail in portraying the rural community where they grew up, and, you know, their transformation, their, like, trans, their, like, growth and journey, and, like, kind of, you know, acknowledging some real-life barriers that they had and challenges that they had in their journey to become professional uh, wrestlers, female wrestlers. I think that the movie really succeeds in capturing a sense of realism, even though there's clearly like very movie-ish things that obviously did not happen in real life. Yeah, uh, but were done in the film to increase, you know, the dramatic tension and whatever. And you know, it's a movie. You gotta make like those kind of changes sometimes. It probably would have been boring uh, if you know. Uh, Gita had won her match to match 2-0 in the final round like she did in real life where in the film like you know, it, was, uh, it was really tense. Yeah I mean I'm pretty sure in real life the big big climax for her whole career in that in the Commonwealth Games was that semi-final round where she was actually against the world champion and then the final the finals were very much a victory lap. Yeah. So, of course, the movie did, of course, make it seem like it was going to be closer. And obviously, you know, they made the coach and her final opponent very, uh, yeah, very cartoonishly evil. Well, we don't like those Australians in <laughs> India. They keep reading the Cricket World Cup, stealing all our... Yeah. Trophies, all that stuff. We can't like the Australians. They're the real enemy. <laughs> yeah, so I wasn't expecting to really get into this movie, get emotionally invested in this movie as much as I was. Especially at the beginning, I thought, you know, I wasn't going to like Mahavir as a character because of his sexist attitude. But once the movie went in the direction of 
him training his daughters into becoming female wrestlers. And once it hit upon that note in that by doing this, he's giving them more of a future than what most girls in India at that time would have being married off at age 14 just to, you know, bear children and do household chores. That he's giving them a career where they can choose their own futures, choose like their own mates, like have a career. He's He really cares about them. And like that day do the best, not just to fulfill his dream, but for themselves and their future. I think that is was a very powerful like message that I think was is maybe still relevant, at least in India today. Yeah, I mean, India has become more progressive, obviously, now, but there's still a lot of that old, old thought culture in there about women and about just how they should act and behave in their lives. And I, I think this is definitely very relevant for the time that it takes place, but it's still very much relevant now for women in India. Yeah, like... It's hard, it's somewhat hard to recommend this movie to general audiences, American audiences, because it's such an Indian film and it's about like this an Indian culture so much. But it is just a really good sports film and a really like emotionally involving sports film. I was even I like I didn't shed tears, but I was like, come on, come on, like when she was doing her when Gita was in her matches. Like I was definitely involved with the characters as portrayed in the film. And like I, I was, I was on the edge of my seat, like when Gita was in these tense matches. This was just a really effective sports film that got the entire audience involved. Again, they stood up for the international anthem, and like there, I don't, there wasn't like applause at the end necessarily. But again, I think that a lot of people were walking out of the theater like really enjoying that, and really like going wow at it. I think, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it did a really good job of making those wrestling matches engaging on the edge of your seat. And even though you know that once they get to the actual, like, Commonwealth Games, you know Gita's going to win. But it's still just so, like, exciting to see these matches. Like, because it it makes it seem like it's going to be these super, like, last-second close-call matches. And sometimes they are. And it's just really cool. Mm Mm-hmm. So, Dangal was a great movie. Like, if you have an appreciation or familiarity with, you know, uh, Indian culture and are just, or are just interested in a movie with a really strong feminist message or just a really great sports film, I would recommend it uh, if you can find it in theater playing near you. And so, how about we move on to our number four, Warren? Uh, yes, my number four pick. Technically, this came out in 2015 in Japan. But I'm counting it on this list because it did come out dubbed in theaters in the U.S. this year. And that film is Miss Hokusai. Now, Miss Hokusai is based on a very old weekly Manga Sunday title that came out in the 80s, 1983. And this was adapted by Keiichi Hara and Production IG. And I wasn't expecting, like, a ton from this movie. I mean, I'm always interested in watching whatever anime films are screening nearby, because those are always fun to go to. But I was really surprised at how great it was. Like, 
I, I'm not familiar with the source material. I, I am aware that it is very much, each chapter is episodic. It's very much an episodic story. But the whole narrative of it was very well done. It, it kind of goes through this whole thing of this master called Hokusai and his kind of job as a calligrapher and his daughter and kind of their whole like life and dealing with like their regular jobs and then supernatural things that come up kind of related to Japanese mythology. And then there's also, of course, a overreaching narrative of the Hokusai's daughter, other younger daughter who is very much sick and is kind of going through her struggle of being blind. And I felt all these intertwined very well, and they did a very good job of taking this episodic manga and making it work into an overreaching 90-minute film. And I, I really liked that about it. Yeah, it was just... Smith Okusai was a really well-made film. A great character study of this woman, uh, Owe, I believe. Yeah, Owe. Yeah, so it was a really good character study. It wasn't like didn't have like a really defined narrative in terms of like an act structure. Yeah. Uh, what binds the movie together is Oa and her father's relationship with uh, Oa's younger sister, uh, who is blind. And this is like a complete invention of Hara for the film. Like the events of that char- of that uh, subplot don't happen in the manga, from like what I've heard. So. It's a really interesting invention for the film that kind of gives it this like emotional center as well as a little bit of like a structural backdrop for the other stuff that happens in the film as well as a catalyst for, you know, always emotional development in the film. And I thought I really do find those scenes affecting me. I, like I, I obviously I didn't cry, but <laughs> like it is very sad when Oway's sister dies in the film. Uh, but Really good character study, like, a uh, really interesting kind of learn very loosely about Hokusai and his daughter, Oe. Like, a lot of the stuff about Oe is invented in the manga and film because there really wasn't much documented about her. But it, it's kind of interesting, like, his, uh, kind of like historical musing is like what the kind of character she was, what kind of person mm-hmm. she was. And it's very interesting in that respect. Learning more a little bit about Hokusai's major works and kind of added, adding this fantasy element, which was also just you know spiced the movie up a little bit, and it was, it had some really like fantastic visuals in it too, like with the ink dragon, you know that uh, was created. And that's, that's yeah, and I, it it did a really good job of like it playing these like more like supernatural Japanese mythology elements and kind of making them very engaging. Yeah, it, it overall it was a very cool film. I'm I'm glad I saw it. I'm glad G Kids is bringing over a lot of these kind of more interesting anime films that are coming out now, and I hope they continue to do so because I love seeing them. Yeah, Miss Hokusai was a really great film. Uh, I got a poster for it downstairs. Uh, yeah, it's really nice. I'm really interested in seeing more Keichihara films. I'm glad G Kids is bringing films like this over because they're really uh, interesting and worth seeing. So, my number four is the Brazilian-French film Aquarius, which stars uh, Sonia Braga as Clara, who is basically this elderly woman who's the last resident of this apartment building 
and the construction company like who owns the building is like trying to get her to leave so that they can tear the building down and replace it with a new you know building and so the film was about her just kind of making this last stand against the construction company, you know, defying uh, defying them uh, because she clings to this place because it is her home. Like, it's where her family has lived for generations. It's like the home where she raised her kids. She lived with her husband. And this film is very much uh, strong. The strongest point is as a character study of Clara. Of like what makes her tick, and uh, also kind of how steadfast she is to stay in this place and not waver, no matter all the shitty things that uh, Diego, the chief designer of the building, uh, tries to do to get her to leave, uh, including throwing an orgy party uh, in the room above her. What is this platinum end? <laughs> No, no, seriously, they troll fucking, fucking orgy party in the room above her. And it's like, they play loud music, and first she's like, ugh, damn it. And <laughs> she tries to block out their loud music by playing, you know, her own music, but it doesn't work. And then eventually she goes up to see what's going on, and then she says, oh shit, it's an orgy. She, and it's a great scene. She looks, and then she turns back, and then she looks again, and she kind of... She kind of gets turned on by it, so she calls up like a male prostitute that her friend, you know, usually hires, and so he comes over and they uh, fool around for a bit. It's like, oh my god! <laughs> this sounds uh, like a very interesting film, Sid. Oh, it's a French film, one, and they're very, uh, they're not, they're pretty loose about sex. Yeah, but um, yeah, this is uh, this was. Really interesting. The film does ha- always have this edge of sensuality. That's an aspect of the film. But it's also just about changing times and remaining steadfast to not ch- change on the values and what you believe in. And there's this very strong sense of community and family, uh, you know, binding Clara and her uh, maid, Lajon. And as well, you know, as her fam- her uh, family, her nephew, Thomas, uh, her, so- her sons and daughter, you know, they all rally behind her and help her. It's, it's also a controversial film because it is very, uh, it's discussing kind of Brazilian social issues and it's, um, it's going against the corruption deep-seated in the government of Brazil and uh, how connected that is with private companies that are affecting uh, Brazil politically. Because the main the construction company, the bad guys in this film, they pretty much own the media and they have, they basically have close ties with the government. So Clara is going up against big powers. She under normal circumstances, um, would have no ability to fight against. But it's because she's just so steadfast and so resolved, like she endures so much, stay where she is and cling to her home that means so much to her. And eventually she and she does find 
an ally willing to help her to expose the some secrets of this company that they wouldn't want to get out. And also, you know, because she's so show kindness to just the normal normal working class Brazilians, like some uh, workers who are laid off from the company later come and tell her about something uh, that Diego did, which what he did was he put in a fricking nest of termites in the top floor of construction building. What the? And it's destroying the building from the inside out. And so she, at the end of the film, it's just great. You don't really see how the whole situation is resolved. But she goes and confronts Diego and his uh, father, I believe, who runs the construction company. And she shows them, like, the papers, like, the files that she has against them. And then, like, last scene in the movie is, like, her, like, breaking open the suitcase with the termite nest in it. And it's, like, all over the, the, the construction company guy's desk. And they're just staring at it, like, like all the termites fluttering around the desk. Like, it, it was just, like, a fuck, great fuck yeah movie. You go, Clara. And, yeah, I, I really got invested in this movie. And it, it, this character study was really... Beautifully shot film. Uh, it was talking a lot of big ideas. Uh, really great social commentary. Uh, definitely a well-recommended film, I would say. I don't know if a lot of people will get to go see it. Because, you know, it is a limited release film. It's obviously a foreign film. So, yeah. This film, it was really good. And uh, I thought it was a great character study. Um, had a lot of great things about it. Really well acted. Really well shot. Uh, just beautiful all around. Yeah, I mean, if, if I ever get the chance, I might try to hunt this film now. Cause it seems interesting. Mm-hmm. It's a shame uh, it probably won't get an Oscar nod because of the controversy around it for its political um, messages. It's a very subversive film, um, so that's uh, caused some criti- some backlash in uh, its native country, Brazil, against it. Right-wing advocates are are like telling people to boycott the film. Because wow, or because of its anti-corruption, like anti, like this is uh, this is not how the Brazilian democracy should be. The Brazilian democratic government is corrupt. Uh, all those messages. So yeah, mm-hmm. uh, it is. So it's uh, it's definitely it's a controversial film, but I think that's a film that needed to be made and is like saying exposing some very important things that should be addressed about. Uh, about Brazilian politics. So, really interesting stuff. Uh, definitely gets a recommendation from me. And so, your number three, Gulak. Uh, yes, my number three is Shin Godzilla. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I haven't been like too well-versed in the Godzilla whole franchise for a very long time. The last time I remember watching a Godzilla film was in India when they were like airing Godzilla versus Megalon, I think. Mm-hmm. And even that, I barely remember anything about it. But I, I, I was interested in Shin Godzilla mainly because it's directed and the screenplay was written by Hideki Anno, of course, from Evangelion fame. I decided, hey, I, I might not remember a lot about Godzilla, but I, I like Anno's work. He hasn't been working on Evangelion 4.0 for God knows how long. Let's see something he's worked on. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I decided to go see this film at a nearby theater. And it was pleasantly really good. 
it, it, this pretty much, for those who don't know, it's pretty much kind of a reboot of the Godzilla kind of whole mm-hmm. franchise. It pretty much goes back to the beginning. Godzilla coming out of the ocean, slowly rising, and then through like absorbing radiation and all this stuff, he's slowly evolving into the upright Godzilla that we know, destroying everything. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it was really good and kind of like there's kind of like kind of goes back and forth between this uh, Godzilla, of course, destroying stuff and the whole government trying to figure out how to deal with Godzilla. How can they get rid of this monster from killing everything? Mm-hmm. Yeah, overall, it's kind of what you'd expect from a Godzilla film, but at the same time, it's so well done and. I think there's one scene that definitely kind of stays in my mind. It's when uh, they kind of are taking all these military forces up against Godzilla and thinking, like, oh, we can just, like, bomb him and somehow kill him. And pretty much it all kind of backfires and he's, like, absorbing all this radiation and then he shoots it at the entire city and wipes it completely out. Just like, damn, Godzilla beats business. Yeah. I mean, this was an incredibly interesting film. Like, it is so overtly political. Like, Anno is, like, really making a really harsh critique of Japanese politics and bureaucracy. And, like, we see in the movie, like, all the steps it takes to do a single thing. Like, all the people that need to be reported to and all the, like, dilly-dallying and, like, the movie's method is very much, okay, these guys at the top, these, like, people who are very set in these old ways, and this old way of doing things, are not getting, are not prepared to handle uh, this kind of situation. The young, the uh, outcasts, uh, the people who would normally be considered outcasts in the political system, they need to take charge, they need to find these creative solutions, work together and not in, and not separately. They all need to work together. They need to work coordinated to combat this giant threat. And this film is very much, this is what Japan can do when we're all working together, when we're all on the same page, and when we believe in ourselves as a nation, and we don't just rely on foreign powers to bail us out. Like, there's this whole conflict with, you know, the American diplomat, American devil government, what mm. uh, the UN wants to do, as opposed to what Japan wants to do. Because if the UN had their way, uh, Japan would have been nuclear bombed. bombed again. And that's obviously not a trauma that Japan, that Japan wants to go through again. And it was up to Japan to solve this problem uh, by themselves and really come save themselves and use their own power, their own strength to save themselves. And this was a really strong political message movie. Like, there's just so many layers to it that, you know, two months after seeing it, I can't just immediately dig up all the various scenes and all the critiques that was that going on in that movie. Yeah. But, like, obviously, it was just, like, huge, like... This brought Godzilla back to its roots of as a metaphor for nuclear power because Godzilla's destruction in this movie it is not like all the people in the theater they were like getting up and cheering and whatever like for when Godzilla was destroying the series I wasn't because that was a horrifying scene wait people that, were cheering in your theater 
People were cheering for That's him. That's kind of messed up. It is messed up. That's the point. What Godzilla is, what he represents, and what he's doing is messed up. Because he's some, he's an allegory, of course, for nuclear power and for this large-scale devastation that man created. And it's up to man to uh, find a solution to put an end to it. Cure their own problem. And... Yeah, like, they're dealing with the ramifications of this devastating power created by man using uh, solutions that, of course, man devise. Uh, you know, this, it brings Godzilla back to his roots. It's like a really clever update of the original Godzilla film. I think that makes it probably the best Godzilla film since the original because of how, like, smart and thoughtful and powerful its political message really is uh whereas you know all the other Godzilla films besides the original and this are kind of um, you know schlocky either I think that the movie was well paced as well you know I was on those editing you know it you'll recognize it immediately it's the style like he uses in Evangelion in fact I, there was where Evangelion sounding music <laughs> in this film oh yeah for uh, sure yeah but um yeah so you know, the editing was so good. Like, even though there was a lot of talking scenes, the cuts were really great. The, the, cam the camera moved in great ways. There were great shots. I mean, the, it was almost keeping your attention. It was keeping you uh, engaged. And it was all moving along at a great pace. So even though there was a lot of talking scenes, like, you were just like, I at least was just, like, hooked in to the action and everything that was happening in that film. Oh, yeah. Um, and people are compl I heard when I was coming out of the theater, like, this chick was complaining to her boyfriend, like, yeah, Godzilla wasn't even, wasn't even in the mood all that much. And I was like, have you seen Godzilla movies? Godzilla? I don't think they have. Most, a lot of these people who go to Godzilla films, like, I think nowadays, like, a lot of people who would go to a Godzilla film probably haven't seen the original Godzilla. They haven't seen, they haven't seen even the other Godzilla films in general. Yeah. Like, even the, per the popular perception of Godzilla is it's like, it's like, it's gonna be an hour and 30 minutes of Godzilla just walking around and destroying things, which, yeah. it never is. Even in like the super heavy team up Godzilla films. There is one there Godzilla film where he fought everyone that was that, but the, yeah. generally Godzilla films are just the people, like, the human characters for most of it, and then, like, every now and again, and again, Godzilla shows up. I mean, the whole point is that you're supposed to see Godzilla as this formidable monster. Yeah. You, he's on screen the entire time. Are you really going to be scared at that point? And he is a monster. Like, when he's yeah. first, when you first see him, you don't even think it's Godzilla, because it's just like, so oh, different. what is this but random sea monster? His evolution is just so chilling and horrifying. Like, uh, like that—that that is how like a, a radio a monster affected by radiation, if it was going to evolve into something like Godzilla, would evolve and transform. And it is like really horrifying to watch as it happens. Yeah, I think that Godzilla in this movie has such a great presence, even in the scenes he's not in. That I don't think that the fact that you go long stretches without seeing Godzilla is a problem because he's all his presence his threat is always felt so powerfully from beginning to end in the film yeah i mean we could we could spend all day picking apart a work by hidekiano yeah because there's a you know his stuff he always makes everything very intricate very deep and so forth but yeah if you ever have the chance to go watch this film or 
I, I'm sure Funimation's gonna release it on home media next yeah. year. I mean, I, that's, this is a film I want to watch again for sure. Oh, yeah. The, it, was, it was so good. But, yeah. So, whenever you get the chance to watch this, watch it. It definitely makes up for the fact that Evangelion 4.0 still isn't out. Yeah, it puts that fucking Godzilla film from 2014 to US 1 to shame. Oh, God, that one like, looks so bad. Movie. Fuck that movie. This is Godzilla, goddammit. And I know you beautiful bastard, make more Godzilla films. I know, like after this. you finish 4.0, which hopefully will be soon. Yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> go, go just make Godzilla for the rest of your life. I don't care. I love this film. Make Godzilla versus Evangelion. I think. Oh my god. That. <laughs> that would be amazing. <laughs> oh, I would so watch that. Yeah. So, Shin Godzilla, fucking awesome. Uh, amazing movie. Best since best Godzilla since the original by far. Okay, so my number three, the French Danish animated film Long Way North, which debuted in Annecy last year but didn't get a wide release until this this year. And this is just a beautifully made movie, like amazing cell animation, great color design, like a- absolutely gorgeous to look at. And it's the picture of this of these icy landscapes. Uh, it's just so chilling and like you feel the environment you feel the coldness and the chill and like everything like these characters are enduring and like you feel the pain uh, of the characters when they're, you know, they're getting hurt when when the uh, captain when he is like on the cliff and like the rope is like pulling on his leg it's just so painful like oh like and there's just some great understated character acting and animation in this movie like that's just absolutely wonderful to watch. It's a very simple story when you boil it down to its just general parts. I didn't even explain the premise. The basic premise is uh, this girl Sasha, her her grandfather was one uh, was a great explorer, and so he went to map out uh, this area uh, a long time a long time ago. But if he didn't ever come return. And so people thought, you know, uh, his ship was lost to sea, that his reputation was kind of sullied. But she figures out that they were looking for him in the wrong place, and he actually went in a different direction than people were searching for him for. So she runs away from home, and she uh, teams up with this group of sailors, and they go out exploring for her grandfather's ship. And, you know, they get stranded on this icy continent. Uh, and so they have to traverse the area looking for the ship while at this, while also dealing with very limited rations, uh, this very stark environment and very little hope of being rescued. Like, their only hope is to find her grandfather's ship and hope is still working. Uh, so, and also the captain is... Uh, who is like the brother of the vice captain, and uh, I think I don't I don't think he's related to her love interest, but you know he is. It's very demoralizing to the crew that he's injured and like he is like very close to death's door. Like so, there's a really time crunch, you know, in order to find the ship, in order to you know get him healthy and safe again too. So. It's a really simple story, but it's really it hits all the emotions powerfully. It's beautifully animated with some just incredible cinematography. While the final scenes of the movie, like this vision sequence 
where uh, Sasha is, you know, seeing her grandfather, like, in this vision, in this, like, great snowstorm blizzard. That's just an amazingly beautiful scene. Uh, just just a beautiful film. One of the one of the best animated films of the year that of course no one has seen because it's not a wide it wasn't wide release. Yeah, I, I actually was really interested interested in seeing this film, but I don't think any place nearby was screening it. Maybe there were some screenings in Minneapolis, but it was probably around the time that I had midterms and I wouldn't have been able to go. Yeah, that's such a shame. But Bless you, Shout Factory, for giving this uh, wide, uh, giving this like a limited release in as many theaters as you could, because this was a really genuinely cinematic movie that was just absolutely beautiful, start to finish. Really loved it. Hope to have it on home video as soon as they put it out, because I want to watch it again. Like great experience. Uh, I I don't know if. I don't know if you should watch it dubbed or subbed. I watched it, you know, original French, and I because I compared the trailers, and it felt to me like the dub acting was more stilted. But uh, what I've noticed with a lot of French animated stuff is that the English dubs tend to not be like very good. I don't think we need to talk much about Wakfu. Oh, that Wakfu dub! I, I really wanted it to be good. I think we all did, but uh, you know, at least we got it on yeah. Blu-ray. And the French still sounds great. That's a little right, yeah. We just don't talk about that English dub. It never happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just like the English dub for your Siatra. Oh, God. <laughs> That's not a, No, the Wakfu dub isn't that sad. It nears the long way north dub, I'm sure. Not by a not even close. But, yeah, I guess watch it in, in French because, you know, that, I think I didn't watch the you know full movie in English, but you know, based on the trailer I, and based on what I see, you know, the French film, the French acting is just league above. But yeah, great, great that it was dubbed, great that it was given wide release. And sad because I was like the only person in the theater when I went to go see it. When did you go see it? I saw it on a, on a Monday. It was like 10 o'clock, so, you know, maybe it makes sense. But like, yeah. I was like the only person there. But yeah, just beautiful film. Definitely. Get it. If you can grab it on home video when it comes out, definitely give it a shot. Maybe they'll put it up on YouTube for rental, hopefully, or Netflix. So, uh, again, big recommendation for me. Uh, now our number two is Warren. Yes, my number two is Deadpool. Now, I'm not, like, super familiar with American comics in general. I have read a few Deadpool comics, so I knew what to expect going into this. Like, Deadpool is very much kind of this break the fourth wall character pretty much a lot of his comics are him just fucking around yeah like there's comics where he literally just kills other marvel characters and all that that's my favorite yeah <laughs> but yeah uh i i had decent expectations for this like i think what was maybe preventing me from i'd say being super super pumped for it was the fact that it's not be it's not technically an MCU film. Mm-hmm. So there's, I'd say, outside of MCU, I feel there's less of a quality guard of sorts. Like, there's still really bad MCU films. Like, look at Iron Man 2 and Iron Man 3, or the Thor films. Yeah. But I'd say, like, MCU tends to be a bit more consistent, if a bit generic at times, but consistent. But this this film was just absolutely fantastic. Deadpool is just like such an enjoyable character. It's a very much 
it's very much an action comedy. Like, Deadpool's breaking the fourth wall all the time. He's getting into these crazy, bloody scenes. And then there's just all these funny moments where, like, referencing Voltron of all things and him and his ugly face. And even just making, like, these subtle nudges to MCU, even though Deadpool's not part of MCU. And, yeah, just, like, this is pretty much what I would want from a superhero film. It, it just got everything right, very much. And this would be probably my number one film if it wasn't for a certain MCU film that we'll get into later that I love for very specific reasons. But, um, yeah, overall, this is just such a great film. If you haven't seen it yet, I'd highly recommend it. I'm sure, like, most people have seen Deadpool by now if they're interested in, like, superhero films. Deadpool is my favorite Marvel character. My favorite, uh, his comics are some of my favorite. And he's not just really funny in, like, how he's used, but he does have a deep character in of himself that I think a lot of people, a lot of people just think Deadpool is this, this jokey, like, break the fourth wall character. He has a lot more to him than that, more depth of character behind him than that. I think the movie captures both the comedic fun side of Deadpool as well as the more exterior side underlying him mm-hmm. very well and creates a very three-dimensional fully realized version of Deadpool that I was very glad to see on screen the movie in general was just really funny but also had this good I don't know if it was that emotional sad, but it was it had a good character it was it was sort of heartfelt it was heartfelt the relationship between Deadpool and his girlfriend that I I really, I really like that relationship. If I recall, this also came around, came out around Valentine's Day. Right? Yeah, it was perfect. It was actually a Valentine's Day movie because, like, it's actually I mean, good. It was the perfect love story. It is. It even had the kinky <laughs> sex and everything. Yeah. We got to see Deadpool and his girlfriend have weird sex on Thanksgiving while eating mashed potatoes. A nice strap-on sex on uh, National Women's Day. Yeah, you gotta have that. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Uh, Deadpool, Deadpool was pretty hilarious uh i really was glad to see it come out so well as a big time fan of the character um i am really excited for deadpool and cable film coming out that's gonna be amazing amazing. uh just yeah deadpool that was such a treat i don't know if it's my favorite comic book superhero movie it's definitely the funniest i have got it doesn't have any competition in that regard but yeah deadpool um Probably second best superhero movie to come out this year, at the very least, and one of the best superhero movies, at least top ten that I think have made. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, it's at least very unique in the sense that I don't think any other superhero comic book film has balanced uh, comedy and action and stayed true to the heart of its source material quite as well as this film has. Mm. So, okay, my number two. So... I talk a bunch about, you know, political stuff and a bunch of great cinematography and visuals and whatever that I thought was just expert. Like, so I I guess I might have given off the impression of I have these very sneaky high art tastes because I don't have any, like, super popular, like, mainstream movies on here. So to dissuade that notion, (laughs) I'm going to add my number two. I have a movie. That I, even though it came out in 2015, I have to put on this list because, like Miss Hokusai, it came out 
this technically came out dubbed in theaters in the U.S. this year, so I can count it. But also, it is by far, by far, the most fun I had seeing a movie this year. And that movie is Girls on Panza, the film. <laughs> if you don't know what Girls on Panzer is, fucking watch it. It's on Country Roll, and it's freaking amazing. Basically, it's about girl. It's like what the title says. It's girls and tanks. Girls are in the school club where they fight each other with tanks. And it's awesome because the, the, the team in this, in the, in the show, in, in this movie, it's like, it's like a giant crossover show because all the, all the girls are like, they're from different, they, they're like, they'd be stars of their own show if they were like in any other series because you have like the normal main five. Who are all into tanks and stuff. But then you also have like the team who are all obsessed with military like history. You have like the team all obsessed with racing. You have the fucking volleyball team who wear, they still wear their volleyball costumes while <laughs> they're in the tank. And they're like, oh man, one day we're going to restore a volleyball club competing in Seishido, which is what they call the, the tank fighting. And, uh, yeah, so, and you have the hall monitors, who are all three identical characters, who like all, uh, who are, were like the hall monitors, and now they're their own, their own team in the overall, like, high school Senshido tank fighting team. And it's like, you have this really weird, eclectic bunch of characters who all feel like, as groups, they could be like the stars of their own show. Like, all together. And it's just insane. Because they also, also like, they fight. I mean, the, the the motif of the show is, like, okay, the main characters, they're all, they represent Japanese tankery, right? And so, uh, they fight against, so in the show, they fight against, like, a British school, whose whole thing is that they're British. They fight against a Italian school, whose whole thing that they're Italian, and their leader is named Anchovy. Uh, and then they fight, they fight the, uh, and one, they have, uh, their main rivals, which, uh, the main character's sister, uh, belongs to Miho, the sister of the main character, Maho's, belongs to, is based on Germany. My favorite of the teams is the Russian team, who is led by this little girl, Kukatsuya. Like, he has this big stoic, uh, wise in command. And in the movie, also, she has a third in command. And there's just this amazing running joke in the movie where the second command and the third in command are, like, speaking to each other in Russian. And Katya's, like, saying, don't fucking talk in Russian. You don't fucking talk in Russian on the battlefield. And it's always I just, I love all the characters in the this, in this show. And obviously, I was really looking forward to the movie. And, oh, my God, the movie. Oh. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> I think Sid just orgasmed. I, I have to because not only was Damnation fucking godly in this movie, but okay, so the movie is the movie takes the tank battles in the show and all the awesome strategizing, all the awesome like stunts and craziness in the show and ups it up not to eleven, but to fucking twenty one. Huh. That's like damn. That's double the amount. 
The point is, is that it takes something that was at, it takes something that was like already fucking awesome and doubles the awesomeness, like expen, like just amazingly, like oh my god, like the movie opens up with like this twenty minute tank battle between uh. Oh my god, there's this hilarious new character it's called the Chiaton team, whose whole thing is that they don't have, they don't, are so fucking stupid, they don't have strategy, all they do is fucking charge and they get fucking annihilated immediately. Because <laughs> eventually, and later in the movie, they realize, hey, wait, we always fucking lose, because we just charge at the enemy, so why don't we try new strategy? And they're like, yeah, that's a good idea! Okay, so what should we do? Let's charge them! <laughs> And then, but then they eventually get their act together, and then they kind of use strategy. But of course, you know, they're still really inept at it. So, you know, it's fucking hilarious what they do. Chiaton team is great addition. I, I, I'm really, they, they got a camera. Uh, but yeah, uh, so the, the they be, the open movie begins with a twenty minute battle, pretty much between. Ori and Chiaton against uh, the British and Russian teams. And it's just freaking awesome. Because you want to see like a team battle between these guys. But then of course like the, the big battle of the movie which takes like an entire hour is literally an hour of the fucking tank fighting. And it's fucking amazing. Oh. Maybe more than an hour honestly. Like because it's so it's just oh my god. Like it, and it does what you want this, you wanted this movie to do. It does as a fan of the show, what you wanted to see is that it brings all the teams from the show and they combined them into one giant super team to go against the enemy in the movie, which is this university level team. Like the characters in the show are high school students. So the, all, the, all the characters from the show all join forces as one super team to combat the enemies in the movie. And it's just fucking glorious. Like they fight in this amazing battlefield where there's like landmines going off. Like bombs, and then they eventually the battle goes into a freaking amusement park, and you have a tank, and you have tanks like on roller coasters fighting each other on roller coasters, and then on uh, on carousels, and the, the my favorite one of my favorite moments is like when they shoot off the Ferris wheel and have a charge against the other tanks, like they shoot the Ferris wheel and it rolls down the hill. And it, like, smashes other things. It's just amazing. Oh, my God. It's like, ah, oh, this movie. This movie is not deep. <laughs> I don't think Yeah, it doesn't sound deep. It's not deep. But, yeah. But it's one of the most fucking awesome things that you'll ever watch in your life. Because, okay, it's just, first of all, it's just freaking hilarious. Like, oh my, I... I I love all the characters in the show because they're all so funny and memorable, and like the jokes in the movie just fly. I love all the character actions, like all the melodrama that's just intentionally played up to be so ridiculous to be funny. It's just amazing, and but also just the tank battles. The tank. I love the strategy. I also just love how crazy it gets. Like you have uh, this. They have this giant. Like the enemy team has this giant tank, right? Like that shoots just huge, like thirty-five missiles like the missiles are like this big and they're like shooting them across the battlefield to crush the uh, to crush uh, the main character's team right so what they do is like the student council team they uh team up with the finish team and they uh 
they organize a strategy where they use the railroad and they charge through the railroad and they like go up on another tank. They use another tank as a ramp. They go up on the other tank and the tank and their tank like flies like straight into the uh, the giant cannon thing and like they, they jam themselves in the giant cannon thing and they blow it up and it's just oh my god. This just sounds insane. It is insane and it's fucking amazing. I love Girls Enhancer. I love I love this movie. I, in case you can't tell by how freaking jazzed I am talking about it and like how how I'm orgasming all over the mic talking about it. This was like a, such a this was like one of my favorite things I saw this in theaters this year. That's why it's number two because it's like the most fun by far the most fun I had in theaters this year. Not my favorite movie of the year because it's number two, but but like nothing. Nothing compares to like the adrenaline, like the the humor, the like oh the Sakuga animation. And that's, that's something for uh, you Sakuga nerds out there. But that, you, you check out Girls and Hands or Girls and Hands movie. It's through Sakuga. Yeah, so just oh my god, Girls and Hands the movie. Just it's awesome. Yeah, I I still haven't checked out a uh, Girls and Panzer. But I'll definitely be looking forward to this movie when I do. Yeah, I, I gotta get this. I gotta get this uh, a Blu-ray when it comes yeah, out. I'm sure Sentai will release it oh, at yeah. some point. I will. And I'm getting that. Because I need to watch this movie again. Because it's too awesome. Yeah. Uh, watch Girls in Panzer and then watch this movie. Because, like, yeah. I'm so, 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 so looking forward to the six-part uh, theatrical movies that are coming soon. Because, oh my god. How are they gonna talk this movie? Oh my god, I can't wait! Oh, yeah. I just want to see more of these characters, though, because I just love these characters, too. But, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, with that, let's try and top that discussion, <laughs> that one-sided discussion, by talking about our favorite movies of the year. Why don't you go first? Yeah, I don't think I'm gonna get, like, super hyper-jazzed <laughs> with my final pick, as Sid did with his second, but... Let's give this a shot. My number one film of this year is Captain America Civil War. Uh-huh. Now, Deadpool. Deadpool was easily the most fun I had at the theater this year. But Civil War gave me something that I had wanted for a very, very long time. To see Iron Man get beaten the shit out of. You <laughs> <laughs> really hate Iron Man? Yeah, for... For background here, I, I think Iron Man 1 is a decent film. It's a good introductory film. Iron Man 2 is trash. <laughs> I, I think most people agree Iron Man 2 is not a good film. But yeah, I, I hate it, Iron Man 2. and uh, like I know people hate the Thor movies. I'd rather watch the Thor movies again than watch Iron Man 2. Mm-hmm. Iron Man 3. Iron Man 3 is like... It's not a terrible film. It's not as bad as Iron Man 2. But it's still pretty bad. Yeah. Like, I, I don't want to rewatch Iron Man 3 anytime soon. But yeah, I, I just really don't like MCU's interpretation of Tony Stark and Iron Man. I just can't find him likable. And I don't know. I just really don't like his movies. But yeah, so going into Captain America Civil War... This is the Avengers 2 we should have gotten. This pretty much brings in all the MCU characters that we had so far. It introduces, of course, Black Panther and Spider-Man. 
were both so far from what it seems are going to be great characters and great additions to MCU. Spider-Man Homecoming seems like it's going to be a very good film. But in any case, um, it just brings them all together. And they are kind of fighting each other over this whole idea of whether we should be controlling what the Avengers do or should we be giving them freedom. Is it really the safe thing to do to give the Avengers these free reign over what they do? Are they really a danger to society more than kind of protection? Mm-hmm. Of course, we have Tony Stark on the whole kind of Avengers is... Dan- the Avengers are dangerous. We need to kind of put a lock and chain on them. Well, Captain America, he feels that we shouldn't... The Avengers shouldn't be uh, restricted or at least restricted to the point where they're pretty much being under the wing of the government mm-hmm. and only acting when the government sees fit. And of course, it'll, it ends up adding in the plot of uh, Bucky, the Winter Soldier, and kind of him being on the run as a criminal. And, of course, Captain America wants to still protect him because he was his friend. Mm-hmm. And this all kind of drives up to the point where Captain America and Iron Man are going face-to-face in this kind of intense battle. Mm-hmm. And it's just such a great fight. Like, it kind of goes back and forth, and eventually, kind of Captain America just takes his shield, jams it into <laughs> Iron Man's suit, and it just completely powers down. And then right as Captain America is walking away, Tony Stark is all, all like, that shield isn't yours. My dad made that shield. <laughs> Give it back. And Captain America just like looks back at him, holds up the shield, and just drops it on the floor and oh, just walks yeah. away. <laughs> it's just such amazing scene on so many levels. I mean, one, it's just showing like Captain America, Captain America is not bound by what Tony Stark is saying. And it's just like, for me as a person who doesn't really care about Iron Man, it's just so satisfying to see him getting just like completely and utterly annihilated, just him going to a breaking point. And even for like MCU, MCU as a whole, it, I feel it's just such a great turning point movie. Age of Ultron had some cool ideas, but it wasn't really impactful as much as this movie. This movie did has impacted, I feel, the overall events of MCU far more than Age of Ultron really did. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's such a... I don't even know how to describe it anymore. It's just like so satisfying to see this. Like, I was expecting Captain America Civil War to be pretty good. Like, I feel that the Captain America films have been probably the best MCU films. But this just completely threw it out of the park. This might be my favorite MCU film Mm. out of everything. And hopefully something can top that, but damn, this is hard to beat. Civil War might stay my favorite MCU film in the near future. Civil War is also my... uh, Okay, Winter Soldier is still, I think, the best MCU film. Civil War is a good second, I would say. I think that Civil War was just a great, like... It felt more like The Avengers 2 that we should have gotten. Yeah. In terms of, like, the stakes and the conflict. 
And I think that the movie had some just great character development for not just Tony and Cap, but for Black Widow. uh, Scarlet Witch. Scarlet Witch, especially. uh, The Vision, of course. Vision. Like, pretty much everyone involved got something out of that movie, and I think that was great. Um, I like the way the movie ends with, you know, Cap and... uh, Cap going his several ways with his own Avengers, leaving Tony, but, like, Tony still has a way to reach him if he needs to. And, you know, this was a good place to bring Tony's character and kind of... It was was definitely, like, I think a very powerful, like, kind of break in that friendship between Tony and uh, Cap. Like, I I think that, uh, you know... I think that definitely you got that they were friends and that this is definitely kind of a bit of a heartbreaking thing that they uh you know find each other themselves on opposite sides and they're like so against each other but like they kind of reach an understanding by the end and you know this is also just also a good place to bring tony's character because you know uh, he finds the guy who kills his parents buffy uh you know and he goes ballistic as you would expect him to yeah um but yeah and also i think that the villain of the movie such an I mean, it's kind of a waste that they call them Baron Zemo because Baron Zemo could be have been much cooler. Well, they didn't call him Baron Zemo. I don't even know if he was a Baron. He was Zemo, though. Yeah. I think it was a waste of Kalamad. He should have just been some new character, I think, because he didn't really have any resemblance to Zemo. Yeah, for what I recall, like the very little I've seen of Zemo and other interpretations, the Zemo we saw in this film is far different from those. But he was really interesting as a, as an antagonistic force. Like, all he stole was just to break, uh, to, like, destroy the trust in the Avengers and between the members of the Avengers, really. Like, I mean, very much he was kind of just an ordinary person. Is kind of showing, like, even without superpowers, there are these enemies that can make or break the Avengers. Yeah, he wanted to hurt them hard because, and this is a very sympathetic angle, because of the destruction they caused, he lost his family. Yeah. So, you know, you can... He's obviously in the wrong for what, he's, what he did, but you have a better understanding of why he went to the lengths he did uh, better than most of them. MCU villains like he's the kid like in personality wise he's nothing to speak of but in terms of concept of character and execution he's much more interesting than like all of the other MCU villains besides Loki yeah and of course Loki has always had the bad uh, circumstances of being in probably the worst films well you hate Iron Man yeah besides Iron Man (laughs) 1 I mean I, I think I think majority of people probably don't like Thor. I don't know about that, but I mean, I don't like the Thor movies at all. Yeah. Though, I don't know, for the most part, I usually see Thor, Thor, the Thor movies at, like, the bottom of people's, like, favorite MCU films. Yeah, I mean, bottom, but I don't think yeah. people hate them as much as I do. And, yeah, I, I just don't like them. But yeah, I'd say Zemo in Civil War definitely shows that you don't need, like, a super all-powerful villain to really have a good conflict in in a superhero film. Because mm-hmm. 
Ultron, let's face it, he was kind of very overpowered. He could, like, create, like, tons of, like, robotic clones of himself and stuff. Mm-hmm. And Zemo is just very much a regular guy. But he's still, he's, his conflict that he's creating is still a much more engaging narrative than anything in Age of Ultron. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think Civil War found a good emotional conflict between the characters, and that's what really carried that movie. And it, it felt, just like Winter Soldier, it felt like something that changed the status quo, that felt different from like the typical MCU formula, as people like to describe. Uh, and I, I think that, like, out of all the MCU, well, we got two, I think, this year. We got Batman. Yeah, Doctor Strange was pretty good. It was pretty good, but like Civil War definitely shook things up and like affected the status quo and like made a difference in the universe more than I think Age of Ultron did. Like Black Swan. Yeah, for sure. And like I'm very much looking forward to uh, the Avengers movie, the next Avengers movie. Infinity War. Infinity War. I'm much, I'm very much looking forward to that more than I was after Avengers Two because of Civil War and what it's done in the universe. Yeah, yeah. So Civil War, a great film, uh, one of the best of the MCU. I think that I like the Winter Soldier just a little bit more overall uh, because I think that Civil War. I don't know. I just felt like it was still it didn't come together quite as well as Winter Soldier ultimately, just in certain aspects. But yeah, that's fair. I mean, it did, I felt that I just suffered from a little bit of an overstepping problem. Winter Soldier. Yeah. I know not uh, Civil War. Civil War. Yeah. Um, but I I think that we all can agree that the fight scene and just between all the heroes was excellent. Oh yeah. And Spider Man made a very good introduction. Uh, so his film next year could be something to look forward to. So yeah, number one, uh, mine is as much as I raved and loved Girls on Cancer, their film. In terms of a movie that encapsulated everything I loved about storytelling and animation, and just film and basically everything I go to the movies. Uh, Kubu and Two Strings can capture that just perfectly. Best like a film? I think there are some people will say Paranorman is the best, but as far as my case go, as far as my interests go, uh, Kubu and the Two Strings, for me, is their best. I think not only is it just visually beautiful, just a godly stunning, like what they did in that movie, uh, the, the stop-motion animation, and like combining that with their effects work, it just just looks. They created such an amazing world that looks better than a lot of CG theatrical features. Honestly, it's just with Kubo though. Like the big, the big thing uh, with it. Not only is like how they used the culture, where uh, really interestingly, it's just also the what the story is about is that it's a deconstruction of. The hero's journey, and like uh, in many respects, and the way it uses the tr- formula of the hero's journey and tr- makes twists and commentary on it 
that to me as a storyteller like it was just so interesting and just so fascinating and is a huge part about why I love that movie but of course there's just it's just in general just an excellent like film in terms of like just all the everything it's got everything that I really enjoy in terms of characters like I like all the characters I really found endearing and um the I thought that it captured great moods and like it could transition between comedy and horror and action really well. Uh, there were great messages about family and very heartbreaking kind of ending. This somewhat in many respects touching, but also very respects melancholy ending. Um, it just it's just a really amazing experience when I when I have that theater I was definitely like speechless like this is a bar that I want to aspire to it's like this is a bar that it's like that really is put that should be pushing boundaries I think I, people should look at this film and like saying yeah this is what we need to aspire to do now in terms of stop motion animation like Leica is basically the only pioneer the, the big main, main pioneer of the field but even outside of stop motion, just in terms of the kind of movies that are being made and the kind of animations that are being made in terms of uh, the kind of messages that they're doing in like kind of the the effects kind of in kind of like whatever how everything just fits together uh, in terms of that entire package. I think this, it really set a new bar that I don't think any other animated feature that came out this year really matched. And for me, it just resonated just so strongly with all my interests. And that's why yeah, it, it's my favorite of the year. And I still still think about that song uh, that they even credits. When my guitar gently meets... And that was just such a melancholy song that still rings in my head when I think about that movie. It's like just perfect encapsulation of that tone of that movie. And it's very... I don't know how to compare the success of Leica films generally because I don't think that they do that well overall. Uh, but I think it made enough at least to earn a Profit, I hope at the very least. Yeah, I think it. I think it at the very least made a profit, at least a marginal profit. Like, yeah. But I, it'd be heartbreaking if this movie didn't at least make a small profit. If they didn't even break even on it, because it was such a beautifully made film. And yeah, um, I think I'm. I think that this is for me. This is like its best feature yet, and they just continue topping themselves. And uh, I'm really excited to see what they'll do next. And yeah, I mean, this is a film again. I want to watch all the films in my top five. I want to watch again, but of the most films I want to watch again, this is a film I really want to study again because it's just to me such a perfect encapsulation about the power of storytelling and like the power of and like family connection and just all these great ideas and messages that just really resonated with me. Heck, I used. I used it as an example in my of of great story structure in my when I was making an academic uh, storytelling grid while I was working at uh, the Carlson School of Management. 
in designing and a storytelling guy for them. So, and this movie also helped me in my work too. So, uh, yeah, just just a great film. Uh, definitely go out and see it. Yeah, this was uh, initially going to be in my top five, but so that we could have like. Uh, each one of us could have like a diverse list. I decided to omit it, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I love this film. Like it, it's probably if I were to rearrange my list now, it'd probably be like my third favorite film. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it was really good. Um, yeah, there's not much for me to say that you haven't already said, but mm-hmm. I mean, I I really I'm kind of hoping it wins an Oscar or something, or some sort of it's award. But yeah, the the Academy. As we all know, is they're gonna they, give it the Finding Dory. No, they're gonna give it to Zootopia. It's better than giving it to Finding. I love Finding Dory, actually, but like, you know, Kubo is better. I mean, let's let's. They gave it to Frozen instead of The Wind Rises. <gasps> Honestly, I they don't actually watch the films. Let, let's face it. Any person, <laughs> right any here. person with a brain knows that The Wind Rises is better than Frozen. They've been on record saying that they don't watch the films and many yeah. have contempt for animated films. And yeah, I think one of them like actually called like Princess Kaguya some Chinese shit or something. Oh. Like, what is wrong with you people? Like, well, you know, Oscars don't matter for anime. Yeah, the Oscars don't matter. For but... animation especially. Yeah, they... they... Maybe in like twenty years or something, when we actually have a younger pool of voters in the academy, maybe things will change and animation can finally get the respect they deserve at the academy awards. But yeah. right now, it's not very bright. It just goes to your Disney or Pixar of the year. Yeah. Well, we'll see. Maybe in twenty years, things will change or whatever. But. Yeah, Kubo and the Two Strings, my pick for Best Animated Feature of the Year and my favorite film of the year. And with that, we've covered our top five individual favorite animated films of the year. Collectively, I guess you could call it uh, our top ten, basically. These are the ten movies we, between us, we really like and would recommend to people. Yeah. And so, very briefly, to count this off, since we just went over our favorite movies of this year, Let's look forward to Rookie Cap coming next year. Are there any movies you're excited about in 2017? Um, I mean, there there are a few, I guess. Um, Your Name, obviously. Your Name is something I'm definitely interested in watching. Mm-hmm. But I, I guess that's technically a 2016 film. But, yeah, I, I'm definitely interested in that. Um, let's see, what else? I haven't really thought about this this much. Um, You want to start up soon? <laughs> Yeah, actually, I have a list. Of course you do. You always have a list. Okay, so I have a, I have ten that I can... Uh, I have a top ten anticipated movies uh, for next year. Like, these aren't the movies that I expect to be the best, but these are the movies I'm most in- looking forward to seeing for personal reasons. So number ten, Guardian of the Galaxy Volume Two, uh, uh, the Origins of the Galaxy, the first one. That's one of my favorite MCU films, so I'm expecting the second one to be a good time. Uh, and I think the trailer exactly shows me anything that is particularly exciting. But um, I mean, it's I think 
it being good is a safe bet. At number nine, I have Wonder Woman. I know I should give up on the DC films at this point. But Just Wonder give up, Sid. It's not worth it. After Batman vs. Superman. Uh, well, I think Wonder Woman trailer looks good. I think it's, she's long deserved a solo film to herself. I mean, she ha- she has the animated feature, but like a theatrical release solo film to herself. And I, the trailer looks good. Like, none of the trailers for other DC films ever looked good. So at least the trailer for this one looks good. So I'm crossing my fingers. Eight, I have Captain Underpants because I was a huge fan of that as a kid. It always baffled me as a kid that Captain Underpants never had a film or... Or any animated, like... No animated series. So this this to me is like definitely like a fulfillment of a childhood dream of seeing Captain Underpants like on the big screen or just in another media in any form. So I'm really excited. I mean, it's going to be like childish, I know. It's not going to be a film probably that it's going to be very lowbrow humor, I'm sure. Like, very kids, but not general audience is friendly. But still, I'm going to see this because I loved Captain Underpants. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm just happy that they're finally doing something with the property. Seven, I have uh, Takashi Miike's JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Time and Unbreakable Films. I would be skeptical of the JoJo in live action uh, adaptation, but given Ta- Miike's reputation and style i think that he can pull it off and yeah you know with how well received the i was the anime i think that uh and with how much effort uh you know the production crew behind this film has gone to capturing the feel of the part i think that this film has a reasonable chance of turning out really good like on maybe on par with the Kenshin films. Yeah, they're filming this in Italy, right? Yeah, they're filming this in a town in Italy because they yeah. thought that looked best like Mario. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Even though it's set in Japan, no Japanese city is going to look like Mario. Yeah. Uh, at six, I have Fate Stay Night Heaven's Field because I think that's coming out next year. And Yeah, yeah it's the first one slated for next year. Who knows if Yufa Table is going to stick to that. Mm. I think a big problem was that... Uh, the voice actor, the, the seiyuu that was a uh, uh, voice of Sakura, was uh, pregnant for a while, so that probably stinted up the recording for it, at least. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Yufa Table is always working on something. Like they're yeah. working on Tales of uh, Zestiria, the X, I think, right now. Yeah. They, they work really hard on their stuff, and their whole motto is, like, work until you drop. So... Uh, when it's ready, it's ready. But yeah. hopefully, it'll be ready. I, I'm hoping fall of 2017 mm-hmm. at the latest. I've heard good things about the route, and with theatrical quality and pacing, I think that it will serve it well. So I'm really excited for it because I do enjoy the fate universe. At number five, I have Pokemon the movie I Choose You. This is a huge nostalgia pandering film, remaking Kanto as a film, but oh, that trailer. When the Mizaze Pokemon Master started playing, that was the minute I was sold. <laughs> and I, Pokemon lives in the weird fiber of my soul. I absolutely love it. So I have, even though I haven't been impressed with the films in the past few years, this one, you know, I think is some. This one has gotten me excited. Yeah, I mean, it, it's a remake of like the original 
Pokemon series. It's so, a, yeah, it's a remake of the Kanto stuff, but it's going to have uh, it's not going to be com- completely based on that. It's actually going to have tell its own story based on the original stuff. Huh. So have a different kind of conclusion, I think. Hmm, okay. Uh, yeah, I, I watched the trailer for that. Uh, I'm cautiously optimistic. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I know Olam Inc. has done like a very good job with the anime. TV anime is yeah, the, the TV anime for uh, Sun and Moon and uh, X and Y and X, Y, and Z, both, from what I've seen, have both been amazing. So, it definitely seems Pokemon's aren't A-game anime-wise. Mm-hmm. I'm still hoping one day for a Pokemon Adventures TV anime. As am I. Who knows if that will ever happen. But, yeah. At number four, I have Yu-Gi-Oh! Dark Side of Dimensions. Again, Nostalgia Bomb, but... Oh, the animation looks excellent, and you know, Kai, Yugi and Kaiba dueling off again. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, I mean, Dark Side Dimensions is something I'm excited for, mainly because Kazuki Takahashi, the original mangaka, was involved in writing the film. Mm-hmm. So, unlike the previous film, like the whole crossover one between uh, GX, 5Ds, and original Yu Gi Oh!, I, I wasn't interested in, interested in that at all. I still haven't seen it because I just don't care. But this film is one that I definitely want to see. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if I'll be able to see it in theaters. It all depends on my college schedule and if I can get to the nearest theater yeah. in a reasonable amount of time. But somehow I'm going to watch this. Yeah. Uh, next I have Despicable Me Street. Despicable Me films are all solid fun. I think this one would be our exception. And especially with Trey Parker being the villain. That's that's gonna be great. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, that's so, gonna be interesting. That should be really funny. Fist fight. I I just saw that trailer for that not too long ago, and it wasn't on my radar before because I hadn't heard of it. But like the minute I saw that trailer, I saw Charlie Day was the main character. I was like, "Yep, Charlie Day, awesome." So you know, I'm a huge always sunny fan, and I love Charlie Day. As an actor, so like I think this could be a great comedy. Because the last movie I'm looking forward to is Lego Batman movie, which trailer <laughs> is just amazing. The trailer's hilarious. I still haven't seen the trailer for that. What? No, I, I thought I'd seen it in a theater. So I really usually I don't like watch trailers online unless it's something I'm really pumped for or like I'm aware of like a long period of time before. Uh-huh. So I haven't really bothered to. Like, actually look it up. I'm definitely gonna, like, now watch it after this. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, Lego Movie was awesome. Lego Batman was great in it. Lego movie, Lego Batman Movie looks really great. I think about, of all the movies that I'm looking forward to next year, that's the one I know for sure I'm going to really enjoy. And then, of course, you know, I'm also looking forward to Spider-Man Homecoming and Star Wars 8 and whatever. And I'm not the most excited for them necessarily like and not because i think they'll be bad just because i don't feel passionate enough about them but you know i'm looking i'm gonna watch them like they should be pretty good um you you mentioned though like quite a few that i'm also interested in fate's mm-hmm. night heaven's feel i mean beyond like what you said i guess uh one film i am excited for which i guess is more of a special than a film i guess because it's a pretty short film. But it's uh, Lupin the Third, Goemon Ishikawa's Spray of Blood. 
Oh yeah, that's gonna be great. Yeah, so that's a uh, Takashi Koike film. Yeah, so it's done by Takashi Koike, who's uh, who uh, was the director of uh, Red Line, which let's face it, probably one of the best animated films ever. Yeah, it's just insane. But yeah, so yeah, I'm think it's gonna continue the whole. Fujikoverse, I guess is how we're calling it now. Yes, so. The woman called Fujiko Mina and then very tonally different uh, uh, Jigen's Gravestone. Fujiko Mina is one of my favorite animes of all time. Easily my favorite Lupin series, but Jigen's Gravestone I'm kind of uh, in on. Like, it, it's not like... I, I like it, it's really good, but it doesn't really share the same tone as the woman called Fujiko Mina. But in any case... I, I love Takashi Koike's other works. Like, I, I really love his directing style. And, yeah, I, I'm just really interested in, like, seeing where this goes. Because there's also the whole Mamo underlying plot that's <laughs> building up. Yeah. So I'm not I'm not sure what if there's an actual plan for, like, what they're going to do with that. I'm assuming, like, they want to make, like, a film for each member of Lupin's group. And then maybe Zenigata... And they'll all be kind of like building up to this maybe Mamo remake film or something. <laughs> that would be pretty interesting. Yeah, because, I mean, after Goemon, we can have Zenigata or Lupin. And then, I think like like the Jigen's Gravestone film, Mamo's going to appear at the end, say something sinister. That's how it's going to like end. He's going to be like uh, Thanos in the, in the Marvel movies. Yeah, something like that. Like, uh, I mean, the other thing that I'm also really, like, excited for in this is that the film is, of course, going to be focused on Goemon, and let's face it, we don't see a lot of Goemon, yeah. usually, like, Lupin Part 1, he barely appears, Yeah. and even in Part 2, even though Part 2 is very much based around group heist, he's still, like, kind of absent a lot of the time, a lot of the time it's Lupin and Jigen, who are doing this heist, and then Fujio gets involved, mm-hmm kind of sabotages it for her own reasons. And Goemon's just in the sideline or just doing nothing. Yeah. I mean, even in The Mystery of Mamo, he literally leaves after his sword breaks. <laughs> like, they just write him out. Yeah. It's just like... Yeah, I feel Goemon has always been kind of the, I guess, the most underrated member of the team. He's always kind of just there to fill... A group of four, like, requirement when mm-hmm. TMS and Monkey Punch feel it's necessary. Yeah. So I, I kind of am happy to see him finally get a bit more of the spotlight. So, yeah, that, that's something I'm definitely excited to watch. I, I'm not sure if I'll... I, actually, I highly doubt I'll enjoy it as much as Fujiko Mine. Even Lupin Part 4, which was amazing still doesn't make me feel the same way as mm-hmm. Fujiko Mine. Fujiko Mine is just very much a very unique piece of anime, and mm-hmm. I feel television and media in general. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just love Lupin as a franchise, so anything Lupin I'll watch, regardless yeah. of quality. <laughs> Yeah, I'm looking forward to the Goemon film, too. Like, he is, like, the, probably the most underrated and underutilized member of the Lupin cast, so it's good to see him get the spotlight. 
And uh, but I think that does it for our inaugural Movie Mavericks episode. We uh, hope you guys enjoyed it, and hope you like were liked our lists or like found them interesting at the very least. And uh, yeah, why don't you tell people where they can find you, Lord? Yeah, so I don't frequent a ton of places. Usually, I mainly frequent Twitter. So my uh, I'm at uh, VLordGTZ on Twitter. So that's probably the best way you can contact me if you ever want to talk about something. If you want to talk about Detective Conan and JoJo, I'm especially up to that because I, I love those franchises. Yes, and you're going to be talking about JoJo very soon. Yeah, that's a, that, there's going to be some fun JoJo stuff coming up on Manga Mavericks and Manga Fights. Oh yeah. Yeah, so I'll, I'll be on that. So if you like listening to me for some reason, I'm not I'm not sure why, but if you, if you like that, then you'll be seeing more of me soon. Mm-hmm. And I'm Lomramiyasha. You can find me on Twitter, my anime list, and animation revelation. You can also catch my artwork on Sid Gupta's Awesome Hard Og on Tumblr. I will let you know, guys, know that I am taking an internet hiatus. Uh, starting pretty soon, I won't be like tweeting or posting much until the current school semester is done in May, so I can work on my thesis film and not get distracted. But if you want to contact me, I will still respond to direct messages on Twitter because that's basically how I communicate in order to set up all the podcast stuff anyway. So. So if you really need to get in contact with me, you can send me a direct message on Twitter and I'll respond. And yeah, you as for the show, you can find us on allcomic.com, uh, where we also do manga mavericks and manga fights on manga-centric podcasts. Movie Mavericks as a podcast will probably come out irregularly whenever we get time. So we're not really on a schedule, but you know, I'm sure that we'll find opportunities to do this again relatively soon. You can, if you enjoyed our, this episode, send us questions, comments, criticisms in the below or send them to mangamavericks at gmail.com, which is basically our central hub for all of our uh, Manga Mavericks network podcasts. We were calling them the Manga Mavericks <laughs> Podcast Mavericks. <laughs> but yeah, you can send them those to mangamavericks at gmail.com. Uh, make sure to like and subscribe to us on iTunes for more episodes and also just uh, give us some feedback and let us know how we're doing. Uh, send us any questions at our email too. We'd love to answer questions on the show, as well as movie, movie topic suggestions, if you guys have any. So, yeah, thank you for joining us for our inaugural episode, and we'll catch you guys next time. 